0: Before we get started, uh, I just want to start. I want us to open up with a word of prayer, and I want us to be aware that while we're here, uh, safe in our space to uh, to worship and to pray and to teach God's word, uh, eat donuts, have fun, play games, uh, that is not what's going on all around the world. And uh, I know you're aware of what's happened in Syria. It's been all over the news. What you may or may not be aware of is that there was an attack in a church in Egypt this morning on Palm Sunday and killed several um, members of that church. So let's open with a word of prayer, recognizing um, we are thankful for the safety and security that we have here, but let's also pray for those who are struggling in their own faith around the world. Pray with me. Father, God, I, I am so thankful that you have provided a place for us to come and to learn, to worship, to give, to grow, to build relationships, and to talk about how good you are. And God, we recognize that this morning there are people all over the world who do not have that opportunity, but instead they are worshiping you and declaring your goodness and your glory in the midst of great insecurity, the threat of violence. And this morning some who have lost their lives. Father, I pray that as we worship, that our worship of you will not just be in the ways that we celebrate things that are good and things that are easy and things that are comfortable, but we can celebrate your goodness as a God who no matter what happens in this world have provided a home for us outside of all of this. I thank you for your son who gives us salvation and freedom even in a time of great distress in our world. And Father, I pray that you would be with those families who have been affected, not just this morning, but have been affected uh, for so long with the threat of violence, trying to stamp out the gospel in the world. Father, I pray that you would broaden our minds, you would open our hearts, you would make us sensitive to the needs of others. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. If you are in Kidmo, I'm going to let you head on out. And... uh, If you're a guest and you have a a second through fifth grader, you're welcome to join them. Uh, Their own time of small groups teaching and some uh, fun stuff that they get to do as well. So far in our series on baggage, we have been talking about how do we get from a place of carrying heavy bags to a place where we're able to get rid of them. And we have been going through the story of Joseph, which is a tremendous story for dealing with baggage, simply because Joseph's family is a messed up family. If you want to look and, and feel better about your family, about your relationships, go back and read the book of Genesis and see what happened in this period between the time where they were kicked out of Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then Later will come the law. The law was always meant not to uh, create a framework for which we could all be good people, but instead the law was to show us how far we are from God's righteousness. And so that was the whole point of the law. And all of this that we've been talking about lies in between those points, the time that the law came and the time that they realized, hey, some things are good and some things are not good, and yet they still acted in all kinds of crazy ways. We also have within these communities, we have a very strict adherence to the belief that we need to stay as a family. You end up having, or you have cousins marrying cousins, brothers and sisters marrying each other, and for us in our culture, it's, it's really freaky. You read that kind of stuff and you think, wow, our history is really, you know, messed up. But the truth is, is that they were living in a very unique time, a very short period of time in which they did not have either what God had, would come to show them in the law, but yet they were still struggling with what is right and what is wrong. And so that is where we have found the story of Joseph. And we know that Joseph's father, Jacob, had his own baggage. Jacob was the brother of Esau, and Jacob and Esau had competing affections with their parents. Jacob was loved by his mother. Esau was loved by his father. And it was clear to each of them that one parent loved the other more. We also see with the story of Jacob that Jacob did some pretty terrible things to Esau. He stole his birthright, he stole his blessing, and Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob ended up fleeing, and eventually he reconciled with Esau at an incredible moment of repentance and forgiveness. And Jacob goes on and begins to start his own family. Now, when Jacob began to start his family, he started having kids, and he ended up. Marrying, who he thought was the love of his life, but yet his father in law gave him his sister, and, or her sister, and so when she, he started having kids with her, they became jealous when Jacob eventually had kids with the woman he really loved, Rachel. Joseph was that firstborn son with Rachel, and later would come Benjamin. We've seen the tension that happened between that family, and this is one of the reasons that you and I, as parents, must deal with our baggage when we are raising children because the sins of the father that we read about in scripture are not so much about god punishing your children for things that you did but what we often do when we have undealt with baggage is we pass those along to our children and so they're learning how to live their life based on how we live our lives And in this scenario, you definitely see that Jacob and Esau and their baggage that they carried by one being loved by their mother and the other by their father, instead of learning, you know, favoritism doesn't work out well. Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph. And in that scenario, we follow Joseph's story where he is given a coat of many colors and he is held up as this favored child. And what ends up happening in that relationship are the brothers sell him off. David did a great job last week talking about this reconciliation of the brothers coming back to Joseph. And Judah especially, the one who said, you know what, rather than killing Joseph, we need to just sell him. Judah would later be the one to say, I need to protect Benjamin with my own life. I cannot do that to my father again. And he would lose another child. So we've watched Joseph go through a number of of different things within his life that you may relate to. Joseph never did anything wrong. Joseph started off, and it wasn't his fault that he was born to Rachel. It wasn't his fault that he was favored by his father. It wasn't his fault he was given the coat of many colors. And yet he was still sold into slavery. It also wasn't his fault that when he began to manage Potiphar's house, that his wife, Potiphar's wife, would hit on him and then accuse him falsely of raping her or trying to rape her that would throw him in prison for several years. Again, not Joseph's fault. But yet for Joseph, he has the opportunity, which many of us have a similar opportunity, to either deal with it in a way that is healthy or to let it pile on baggage within us. Now, I don't know how many of you in this room have been sold into slavery. Anybody? Anyone here? Okay, so you don't really match that part of the story. Did any of you go to jail for trying to hit on your boss's wife? Now, don't raise your hand if you actually did that, all right? We don't want to know that. Probably not your story either. But your story does have some kind of broken pattern somewhere. Every one of us does. Maybe it was in a family relationship, maybe you grew up and you didn't have the healthiest parents. Your parents didn't know how to show love or didn't know how to show you how to grow up and live your life. Maybe you grew up going to a church and your baggage isn't so much with your family and maybe your baggage with with God and someone taught you some terrible things about God that just aren't true. That you have to be perfect in order to be with him, to be part of his family. That somehow you can never sin if you're going to be a Christian. Or that somehow God is just waiting for you to mess up so he can just pour down judgment upon you. And so many people have walked away from the church for those very reasons. It was interesting, I read an article this week about Steve Jobs and why he ended up leaving the church. He, was a, he grew up in the Lutheran church. And he ended up leaving the church because he saw on the cover of a Time magazine two starving children. And he took that image to his pastor at the time and said, how can God let this happen? And rather than teaching Steve about why evil exists in the world, what God's response is, and what our role as the body of Christ is to address those things that are evil in the world, he just says sometimes you just got to accept That this is who God is, and it is sin to question him. And so he ended up leaving the church, and he never came back, ended up becoming a Buddhist, and it shaped and changed his life forever because he didn't give an appropriate answer. He was heaped on him baggage about God and the Christian church that was not true, and it shouldn't have been that way. Now, whatever your baggage is within your life, perhaps someone told you that one day you were going to get everything you ever wanted. Your dreams were all going to come true. If you just work hard enough and go to church enough and you give a tithe, that God's going to give you everything you ever wanted. And it was in no time at all that you realized, this is not the way God's working in my life. And you can pile on some baggage. Perhaps you had some friends and your friends got you involved in stuff that you never would have gotten involved with if it weren't for those friends. And as a result, you began in being active in activities that began to destroy you, both physically, emotionally, and mentally. And you struggle with those today. See, baggage is a huge thing that we all deal with. Baggage is not something that you are able to walk through this world and deny it exists. Or walk in such a way that you never pile any on. The process of getting rid of your baggage is a process that you'll go through for the rest of your life. What I want to share with you today is that God is such a good, gracious, wonderful God. That no matter what your baggage is, not only can he deliver you from it. Not only can he restore you, restore to you what you have lost as a result of it. But God is actually working and is going to use your baggage if you let him for a purpose that may change the world. Now, the reason I want to share this with you and the reason I want to share it at this point in the story is because I talk to so many people who believe that they have messed up in life or they have screwed up or their mindset is so warped anymore that there is no more hope. And the reality is is that God can restore anyone. God can change anyone and God can use any amount of baggage for His glory and for His good in this world. If you don't believe that, you will never fully trust that God wants to heal you of the things that you struggle with. So here's what we want to do looking at this story. Where David left off last week is really this, it's kind of a crazy story, but the famine has already begun. At this point, Joseph is probably 39. We're going to say he's 39 years old. And the reason I say he's 39 years old is that we learned a couple of weeks ago that when Joseph was put over the head of Pharaoh's household, when he interpreted his dream about the famine, he was 30 years old. It tells, the text tells us he was 30 years old. He says when he's interpreting the dream that there are going to be seven years of plenty and then there are going to be seven years of famine. We also read through these texts that whenever the brothers come to Joseph, finally, they're only a couple of years into the famine. So he's 30, he takes over. Seven years of plenty, and then two years of famine, nine years, add to 30, we get about, he's about 39 at the point that all this takes place. So two years into the famine, they're beginning to feel the crunch of not having enough. And so the brothers come, they go to Jacob and say, we need to go to Egypt. There's a story about a guy there that has stored up all this grain that we can go and we can, we can live. So we're going to go see what we have to do and see what we can trade in order that, you, that we can all live as a family. And Jacob says, okay, go. And so they go and they speak and they don't know that Joseph is their brother, but they go and they just bow down before him and say, we need help. And Joseph looking and seeing them can't imagine what he's going on inside of him. He must've had an incredible poker face. And keep in mind, they sold him into slavery when he was 17. So at this point, this is about 22 years later, right? Is, that my, is my math right? 22 years? 22 and 17 is 39, right? That's right. Y'all aren't awake. Y'all need to go grab some more donuts. I'm not. I may, maybe I'm not awake. So 22 years has passed. He has this incredible poker face, and then he tricks them, and he says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you all the things that you're asking for. Now go and tell your family and bring them to me. And so as they are going, he instructs some of those that are keeping their horses. He says, take some of their money that they brought to bargain with and take my cup that is clear from my home and put it in the youngest, which is Benjamin, his brother. Put it in his bag. And so when they find it, they're arrested and they come before them. And in this incredible story, what this is setting up is a moment that we're going to see today begins to change not only the heart of Joseph, but the heart of his brothers and will touch the heart of their father. This is setting up a moment of repentance that they are going to experience. And there are two things that I want you to walk away from today. One is understanding the role of repentance and getting rid of your baggage. The other is understanding the role of forgiveness. These two ideas, are not ideas, these two actions are the thing that are going to release you from whatever baggage you're dealing with in one way or another. It's possible that you will come to a place where in a moment God will remove it. It is also possible that it will be a process of God bringing other people to help you to overcome your baggage. Now, as we look at this story... And his brothers are brought back to him. What we're going to find is that Joseph is about to reveal himself that I am your brother. Now, I was thinking about if I were Joseph and I were in this position, how would I respond? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, keep in mind, these guys have sold him into slavery, plotted to kill him originally. And now he has been through prison. He has been enslaved. And now he is on top of the world, literally. How would you respond if you were Joseph? Now, if you were going to respond with your ego, he might say, hey, it's me, Joseph. Look at me now. Look at where I am. Now, if you're a gloater, Joseph might stand up and he would say, hey, remember that dream I had? Guess what? You're living it. Here I am. I'm ruler over you now. You're going to give me everything. If he was angry, he could have killed them on the spot. He could have done anything he wanted to them. And if he wanted to revenge, Joseph could easily have said, you sold me into slavery, now I will sell you and all of your families into slavery. And if he just wanted to hurt them, he could have just said, leave. None of this that has been stored will be yours. Go and die hungry now let's look and see how joseph responds and what we're going to see in this is that joseph's heart was one that was uniquely gifted to overcome the kinds of baggage that you would think that he would he would pack on and the truth is as david shared last week we're not going to overcome our baggage unless we are able to see it to name it to claim it, I hate to name it and claim it phrase, but in this regard it works. We name it, we claim that this baggage is ours, and we have to deal with the pain of admitting it, or it's going to be a pain that grows within us forever. In Genesis chapter 45 verse 1, this is how Joseph responds. Because the brothers have yet to do this. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I would be dismayed, too, thinking, what is he going to do? Is he going to respond out of gloating? Is he going to respond out of anger? Is he going to respond out of revenge? Like, you can just imagine that their mouths are wide open. Verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to his response. This is how he views all of the heartache he had been through because of their hands. If you are here today struggling with baggage, thinking that you are too far gone, the baggage is too heavy, the sin is too egregious, whatever it is, God can never restore me or use this outside. I want you to see how Joseph responds to his brothers here. Verse 5 again. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. And this is going to mess with some of your theologies. It is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. The reason this will mess with your theology is because what if the bags you were carrying The temptation was placed there by God himself. What if God brought you to the place where you are dealing with your baggage for a purpose? Now, it's easy for us to read these stories and to say, you know what? Joseph's going to be the head over Egypt eventually. And he's going to, you know, really be wealthy. And he's going to be living the the blessed life. If he'll just hang in there, we know what's going to happen. And it's great when we read those stories in that way. But when you read your own story, you never read it that way. Unless you have seen God work through the years. Once you have seen God work through the years, you begin to trust him that he's going to continue to work even when you don't see it. But for Joseph, he never saw it until the moment the Pharaoh came to him to reveal this dream. He simply lost had lost everything he ever wanted. But he had come to the place to recognize God is at work. God is at work. And so I have let him continue to work in me the way that he wants to work. Now, if we look back at Joseph's life, Joseph could have checked out anytime. If you and I were in Joseph's position in prison... I don't know which would have been worse, the fact that we went to prison or we helped out some of the leaders that Pharaoh was at odds with, that Joseph interpreted some dreams. You'll remember he interpreted dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, and he said, remember me whenever you're back in the good graces of Pharaoh. And they forget, well, not they, the cupbearer forgot him. The baker was killed. He didn't like his dream. But he forgot him, and so he stayed in prison even longer. And any time he could have checked out. and any time he could have said, God, this burden is too much. At any time he could have been overcome by depression. He could have been overcome by guilt or fear. He could have been overcome by any number of things. But for Joseph, he recognized this crucial, crucial piece of reality for each of us. That God is always at work. I find with people that I deal with that I know are struggling with great amounts of baggage. One of the great problems they have with seeing the world in the way that God sees it is believing that God actually is working in their life. That somehow they're immune. I see God working in some people's lives. I mean, it's evident. But in mine, not so much. And they begin to doubt that God is at work. And instead, they're somehow sequestered off into this little corner that nobody cares about and God doesn't care about. And there's no hope for them. And so they carry this baggage with them. Whether your baggage is addiction, whether your baggage is coming from a background of abuse, whether your baggage is hearing some terrible things about God that just aren't true, whatever your baggage is, you are going to be tempted to say, my life is all about me, and no one remembers me. I've got to take care of myself. But Joseph knew something that every one of us as followers of Jesus should know, and that is that when we know Christ we are no longer our own. When we know Christ, we are no longer our own. If we believe God is always at work, then we believe that no matter what is going on in our lives, God wants to use, and it is not up to me to decide how I respond to it. I must respond in the way that God tells me to because I have given my life to Christ and my life is no longer my own. Joseph knew that his life was no longer his own. 1 Corinthians 6:19 describes how we respond in this particular context to sexual temptation. It says, "Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. You are not your own anymore." And I believe this one principle is one of the reasons we have so many nominal Christians. You know what a nominal Christian is? Someone who likes to say, I'm a Christian, but nothing in their life demonstrates that. It's in name only. Because whenever you give your heart to Christ, you recognize I am a wretched sinner and you have died for me. I accept your forgiveness and I ask you to be my savior and I no longer can live my life for me anymore. Yet so many people still believe their lives are about them. And when we look back and we say, why hasn't God used me for anything? It's because you decided your life was for you and not for him. And so you walked away from his work. Joseph could have walked away from his work. Had he walked away from his work, maybe God would have found somebody else. But also what may have happened is everyone would have died. Everyone would have died. I want you to imagine what has happened here. Seven years of plenty. What do you do when you come and get a raise at work? If you're like the the average person in America, your level of living rises to your raise within a few weeks' time. So that if you've gotten a raise and then all of a sudden your boss was to come to you and say, we're going to have to reverse that. We're going to have to put you back on what you were making before. You would probably panic because you can't. Well, we've got extra car payments now. We've got a nicer house now. You know, our cable bill. I don't know how we're going to get rid of all these channels. Our cable bill's gone up now. Because we tend to rise to what we have and so, likely, what would have happened in Egypt is in this time of plenty, probably people have been overweight, It'd be like us today in America. Man, let's eat up. This is great. We don't even have to work that hard. It just grows itself. But when the seven years of famine came, had Joseph not been there, they would not have prepared. There would not have been food. Egypt would have died. Jacob's whole family what would become the future nation of Israel would have died everyone in the region would have died had Joseph decided you know what I'm tired of not just caring about myself I'm just going to care about myself from now on I'm going to tell you once you take that mindset you are going to permanently experience a kind of baggage that you may never shake for the rest of your life when we know Christ we are no longer our own Here's how the story continues in chapter 45, verse 9. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all you have. There I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Can you imagine what kind of conversation that was? Can you imagine the repentance in that room? Can you imagine the feeling of forgiveness? Imagine what they have been carrying for all those years to in this moment, Joseph with a word has released them from. There's healing happening in this moment. There's excitement. Guilt disappears. It's an incredible moment for them. Verse 16, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for their journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 3,000 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and they departed. He said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Guys, we're having a great moment. Don't mess it up. Whenever you leave, don't start playing the blame game. And one of the reasons that we don't ever truly experience forgiveness permanently is because we have a tendency to bring up old junk rather than just letting it go. Don't quarrel on the way. <laughs> He's so intuitive. By the way, have you ever wondered as where jo- Joseph learned all these things? You ever wondered, how did he get to this place? I mean, just grabbing a guy out of prison and putting him over the entire nation of Egypt, does that seem like a wise choice? Well, He did interpret a dream, that's pretty impressive, but he didn't know that that dream was true yet. You know, part of the things I believe that Joseph learned along the way, both in Potiphar's house and he learned in prison, was not only how to deal with conflict, but it was also how, how to lead and how to run things. If you'll remember when the baker and the cupbearer were in prison, who was assigned to help them? It's an incredible time of mentorship for him in prison. So he could have clearly just said, oh, I'm in prison, woe is me. But instead, he clearly learned from these leaders that were on the ouse with Pharaoh as he served them. He learned a thing or two. And he grew. He learned how to deal with conflict, and he knew what his brothers were going to do. So they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, you know there's another moment of repentance and forgiveness that's required here. Because this is likely the first time Jacob finds out what his other sons had done. Because you remember the official story. He's been eaten by something. Here's his coat with blood on it. He's been killed. Repentance and forgiveness are so crucial. i want to give you three prayers today if you, want, if you are dealing with something and you want to get rid of it. I'm going to give you three prayers, and then we're going to wrap up this story. I want you to know that repentance is the doorway to a clean and a lighter heart. If your heart is heavy, if it is burdened, if you're constantly thinking about your mistakes or you're thinking about someone else's mistakes and how they've wronged you, We have to take ownership of those things. It's very easy for us to blame everyone else for our issues. But you will never overcome it if you blame somebody else for it. Even if someone else hurt you, even if someone else offended you, even if someone else did something to you, it is up to you to how you respond to it. And when we pack it on and we pack on anger and We do not forgive. That's on us. And there's a moment that we have to come and decide we are going to repent. Repentance is the key to living a full life. It's recognizing that I don't always make the right choices. In fact, I probably usually don't make the right choices. Repentance is a place of saying someone else is more important than me. And ultimately what God says is true is what is most important. The reason that repentance is so important is because we see it all throughout Scripture. We even see it in Jesus' first proclamation of what the gospel would become. It always began with repent. John's message in the wilderness was a consistent message of repent. I think, and I, I want to be careful, I've said this before, but I always want to be careful how I say it. Christians have overused grace to the point that they have made it ineffective. How good is it to bask in grace if there is no repentance? Paul dealt with this. It wasn't something that we've just come up with. Paul dealt with this in the very early church as well. And he talked about sin in the book of Romans. He said, don't just go on sinning so that grace can be experienced even more. Stop sinning. Stop doing that. Repentance is crucial for us being right with God and getting over and out all those things that are poisoning us. The reason I say that we have overused grace is because we have made grace this thing that says how we live our lives doesn't matter. I sin, I don't sin. Doesn't matter. I'm saved by grace. Not true. Grace is truly a gift that we are given in which we can be saved. However, if there is no repentance in us, there is no gospel in us. So while grace is crucial, repentance is what unlocks the doorway to a clean and a lighter heart. Our prayer in the moment when you need to repent, and if you are carrying baggage, there is always something to repent for. Our prayer is this, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. The truth about forgiveness is that not only do we need to ask for it for ourselves, but we usually have to give it to somebody else too. So repentance is the doorway to a clean and lighter heart, but forgiveness is the key to overcoming your baggage. And why would I say forgiveness is the key? Because some of our baggage, we pile on ourselves, right? Right? No one else made me drink that drink. No one else made me shoot up that drug. No one else made me lie, cheat, or steal or whatever your list of laundry list is of bad things you've done. I did that. Who am I going to offer forgiveness for? You know, offering forgiveness is so crucial. We need forgiveness from God. absolutely. That is what's most important. Many times, in your own baggage, you need forgiveness from yourself. Because there are a few of you, maybe a lot of you, who you are your hardest critic. You give yourself the hardest time. Sometimes the people that struggle with pride the most are the people that are their greatest personal critics. Because they're putting out an air that says, I'm okay. I've got it all together. But there's a little voice inside of us who picks apart every single thing we do. And if you're one of those people that has that little voice picking apart every single thing that you do, you're going to need to forgive yourself. You're going to need to let those things go. Sometimes forgiveness is something that we need to recognize. In the early church, or not the real early church, but there was a time that proving that you really were repentant became some kind of a virtue within the church and a practice began to be utilized by different zealots of mutilating themselves. They would literally hurt themselves, whip themselves, cut themselves, all to try to show that I'm repentant. God doesn't ask for any of that. There's no whip and no knife. There's no ceremony. There's no prayer that can overcome or is greater than a heart who simply is saying, God, forgive me. It's a heart issue. That's what, whenever we do baptism here, the reason we do baptism is not because that's what seals the deal for you, it's not what gets you into heaven. God's not going to go, Well, I see you prayed the prayer of salvation, but I do not see the box check that you got baptized. Sorry. That's not how it works. Yet there are lots of people who actually believe that. Baptism is a symbol to say, I have given my heart to him. I'm no longer my own. I am dying to my old self just as Christ died on the cross. And I am rising as a new person just as Christ rose from the dead. We become new. We become absolutely new. Sometimes we have to forgive ourselves, not punish ourselves to prove how sorry we are for the things that we've done, but we just need to offer forgiveness to ourselves. Sometimes we need forgiveness from others, and our baggage is because we did something to somebody else, and we need them to forgive us. I'm going to tell you if you're a parent in the room and your children have never seen you ask for forgiveness, that's a problem. If you really think you can raise your children for 18 plus years, and never have done anything that requires forgiveness, you're crazy. And if you think because I'm the parent I need to look strong, I'm telling you, your kids learn how to forgive based on how mom and dad ask and give it themselves. We have to become experts at forgiveness. Asking it and giving it. That's the other part of forgiveness that is probably the hardest. Sometimes I don't know if it's the hardest or not. Forgiving ourselves is sometimes the hardest, but forgiving others. You know, I, when I really get mad at somebody, and I know pastors aren't supposed to do that, so hypothetically, if I get mad at somebody, I argue with them in my head all the time. And I win every single one of them. They never, they never counter a legitimate argument against me in my own head. You know, that's sin. That's lack of forgiveness. And it's been said, and it is true, that when we don't forgive, we let people we don't like live rent-free in our heads. When we give forgiveness to others, we don't give it because they have given us such a wonderful request or apology. We give it because we can't live with that kind of baggage and anger in our own lives. We've got to We've got to give forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is the key to overcoming your baggage. I don't know who you need to forgive or ask forgiveness from, but it is crucial. You will always, God will always be a part of that. God, forgive me for holding on to this. God, forgive me for being angry. God, forgive me for not going to this person and making things right. God, forgive me. Forgiveness is a key. Our prayer for repentance is God, forgive me. Our prayer, our prayer for forgiveness is, God, help me to forgive them. Who do you need to forgive today that's living rent-free in your head? Who do you need to just let it go so that you don't have to carry that weight anymore? Colossians 3.13 says we have, that we as followers of Jesus need to bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. That is the example of forgiveness. I forgive not because I just don't care. I forgive because I've been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me. He's told me to forgive others. I want to be clean before him, and so I will forgive as well. If we read through and Genesis 47, we're going to skip 46 simply because 46 is just a long list of everybody that made the trip. It was a big group of people. It was not just Jacob and his boys. It was a large group of people. If you want to go back and read that, it's really an interesting list. You can go spend some time in that. If we hit verse 47 then, it says, Joseph went in, and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as, your fa- as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen." Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any men, able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. In other words, we we need a job. And we can't do what we know how to do. Famine's too severe. So Pharaoh gives them a job. And Joseph br- brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of, of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the day of their sojourning. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. We're going to stop the story here. In other words, they get everything. Pharaoh is so excited what Joseph's done for the whole land of Egypt, that he gives them everything. And they come and they settle. Now, to wrap things up, I'm going to wrap things up in a couple of different ways. Baggage is a state of mind. Baggage is not forced upon you. It's within your head. Sure, it's within your heart. But it's within your mind. And we're trapped by that pain. When you carry baggage and you want to get rid of it and it feels heavy, it is because it is continual pain that you carry. And we have to recognize if that is where our baggage exists, there's something with our minds that we have to do. God wants to renew your mind. He wants to change it. He wants to remove the need to hold on to it. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. As a follower of Jesus, God wants to renew all of this and change the way we dealt with our baggage before. He wants to help us to release it. Our third prayer, God, renew my mind. You can simply pray that prayer and seek for God to bring renewal within you. It's amazing the power of what God can do. All of that is possible because of what Christ has done. As Richard mentioned, this is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday that we recognize Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. And as he comes in, he's heralded as a king only a few Short hours later, he is arrested and flogged. And he has been screamed at by the people that once said, we worship you, our king, that he should be crucified. This begins the holy week before Easter. All of this is possible. What God did in Joseph, he did in Joseph. But he offers to all of us through Christ All of this is possible through Christ. Your renewal comes through him, not through a sermon, not through a Bible study, not through some kind of a devotional that you pick up at your local Christian bookstore. It is all possible only through Christ. Let me tell you the rest of the story and how important it was that God used Joseph and what this meant for us today. Because today we are still living out what Joseph did. So as they go through the next few years, and you can just read this in the next couple of chapters of Genesis, what's going to end up happening is food is going to continue to dry up. People are going to come from all around. They're going to come to Joseph, and they're going to sell him everything that they can. And what we're going to find out is the land of Egypt before Joseph, it was was fairly well off, but not like after Joseph. And so people came, and they sold all of their possessions. People came and they sold all of their animals. Eventually, they, gave, they, they sold everything that they had to offer. So they sold their land for food. Eventually, they had sold all their land and Egypt owned everything to the point that they came and they sold themselves to Joseph in order for food so that when the famine was over, Egypt had all of the wealth, all of the land, and all of the people in the entire region. All of that Because of Joseph's work in the seven years of plenty. Now, that same wealth that built them up to the great history that we know about Egypt. Interesting thing, the nation of Israel did not exist. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, right? The nation of Israel is spawned from the sons of Jacob. They were all in Egypt. The next book in the Bible is what from Genesis? exodus what you'll read right at the end of genesis into the beginning of exodus is that joseph dies this whole generation of people involved in this process die and eventually a new pharaoh comes in and that pharaoh enslaves all of jacob's family that has come into egypt enslaves them and treats them bitterly and they cry out to god and god sends a deliverer through moses and when that deliverer comes, the Pharaoh doesn't want to let him go. And through all of the plagues, and finally the final plague, the death of the firstborn of all the families that did not have the blood of the lamb on, the, on their doorpost. Finally, he let them go, and he gave them all of their wealth. Now let that soak in. All the wealth of Egypt came from the work of Joseph. And when God delivered them, he sent them out with all of that wealth. So that for the next 40 years, they would wander in the desert. But they would wander, and if you read what they do in the desert, they're, they're pretty well off. And they're an enormous group of people. Chapter 46 is talking about hundreds of people that go, that after a few generations turns into thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Egypt. Their nation is established of which the Savior of the world would eventually come. And the nation of Israel, his chosen people that represented God's work in this world were preserved by the work of Joseph until the time that Jesus would come for all people. Israel exists today because of Joseph. Jesus came from the people of Israel because God inspired Pharaoh and Joseph at such a time as this. Now, why do I tell you this part of the story? I tell you this part of the story because some of you don't believe God is at work right now with your baggage. When I talk to people, especially those who are dealing with addiction or abuse, they talk about their stories in such a way that they believe that this is just going to permanently injure them for the rest of their life. And yet what God wants to do, what God is working behind the scenes is to bring healing within their lives so that they can go offer healing to other people. That's the way God's always working. He's never working just for me or just for you. He's always using you for other people. You've probably heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people. You know, it's cute. Counselors like to use it. Hurt people, you know, they're hurt, like to hurt other people. But you know what? Healed people heal people broken people help other people put their pieces back together god wants to use your baggage or the release of it to help someone else for me the way that's looked are some people that have struggled with some of the things that i've struggled with in my life coming alongside of me and saying this is how i handled it and yet, if you hold it in deep, and it's very personal and private, and you're ashamed to let people know you even struggled with it, you'll never help anybody with it and deny what God wants to do through your story. God is always at work through our stories. He is always doing something among us. You do not have to, be remain, to remain to be enslaved by your baggage. That's worded really poorly. You do not have to continue to be enslaved to your baggage. I want you to know that through this series. I also want you to know that God is always at work. He is, always, he is at work right this minute. God is always at work. And just a moment of honesty in your own life. What baggage do you need to release to Him today? What do you need to release to Him? Is there a, a, a time of repentance that you need To just ask for forgiveness. Is there a need to go offer forgiveness to someone else? Even if they don't want it, do you need to offer it? And I want you to know that no matter what your story or what your background or no matter how deep your pain is, that God can restore you. What we believe about Jesus is, is that he is in the business of restoring us, renewing us, making us new, filling us back up. The stories of Job, the stories of Joseph, that God can restore you. Psalm 71, an incredible prayer that says, You have made me see many troubles and calamities, or will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. That is who God is. It's who he wants to be to us. I don't know what your own personal bags are. But some of you are better at hiding it than others. Some of you, it's just clear. You walk in and you're just heavy. And your face is down. And you're just going on. How you doing? Oh. You know, you can see it. Others of you, well, you're, you're good actors. You're good. You're falling apart in, on the inside, but you walk in. How are you doing? God's so good, man. I'm ready to worship. Man, you can cover some good baggage. Wouldn't it be better just to release it and be done with it? Some of you have come from that place. You have released it. You are done with it. And guess what? There are all kinds of people waiting around you to just put another bag on your arm. This is not a process you do once and done. This is a lifestyle, the way you live the rest of your life. I can't guarantee that God's going to make you the ruler over a nation. Uh, It's not likely going to be your story, although God does some pretty interesting things. I can't guarantee that God is just going to do some kind of miraculous event that you're going to just, it's going to be far beyond what you ever hoped for your life. But I can tell you can live in peace. And that when God is at work and you know it, that is a miraculous event. And you may not be the leader of a nation. But you will be living a very full life. What do you need to ask God to release from you today? Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the story of Joseph. I'm so encouraged to know that you are at work with so much evil in our world. You are at work right now bringing good and glory. I pray that you would help us to see and help us to believe in those things. Father, I pray for those in this room and and they've been been held down for so long they've given up hope that they'll ever be free of it. And God, I know that you can renew their minds, you can transform them. I know that through repentance and forgiveness that it is possible. I pray that you would let them experience that today. Father, I pray that you would hear our prayers of repentance this morning as we cry out, asking for your forgiveness for the ways that we have held on to to offenses, ways we have held on to hurts and pains that we never should have. I pray that you would forgive us when we have hurt others and we have not ever tried to restore them. I pray that you would bring healing in our relationships. I pray for relationships in this room that are disintegrating as we speak because there's undealt with hurt And I pray that you would begin to bring new life to them. Father, I pray that you would not only hear our prayers, but you would work within our hearts, work within our lives. Father, I pray that today you would remove baggage from those who cry out to you. And Father, I pray for those that are going to require more. They're going to require someone else to help them undo the web that has created in their life. You would bring people to mentor, to counsel, and to walk with them through the process of releasing that baggage. Father, I thank you for your love that no matter how messed up we are, you love us fully and completely. Father, I thank you that our salvation is not dependent on being good, but our salvation is dependent on the obedience of Christ to give his life for us. I pray that we would receive your grace, but that we would not abuse it. Pray that we would see the sins in our lives, that we would repent and walk away from them. Let us walk in such a way that we can carry out your work in our lives. And let us be people who bring healing into the lives of others. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.